Well, thank you for inviting me here this morning. It's so good to be here again. And uh, Brother John's enjoying himself. Praise the Lord. He's taking a, a, a well-earned rest. And um, where am I going to put this? Yeah, so thank you for the opportunity to come and to share with you. Uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I've got mine here. And... Um, you know, they say a Bible that's falling apart is usually read by someone who isn't. And so, um, yeah. Alright, we're going to look at First Thessalonians. So please turn me to me, to, to your book, to your Bible, First Thessalonians, and uh, we'll read the first six verses. Now, as we look at this, we see that Thessalonians was an energetic church. He was a chosen church. He was an exemplary church. He was an enthusiastic church. And it was an expectant church. It was a church that was expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to return at any time. And, and that's the way we are to be today. I get up every morning and say, Lord, is this the day that you're going to return? And we have to be ready. Amen? Amen. So, I'll just go through this PowerPoint. So the main verse or the main uh, theme throughout this First uh, Thessalonians is May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. So we are to be blameless and holy. Not faultless, but set apart for, for him. Because our perfection is in Christ, as you've just seen in that uh, video. Okay, we have a hope. I think Brother Andreas brought that up. He mentioned hope in our communion service this morning. Hope is having only positive expectations. And when you're in Christ, you only have positive expectations. Amen? And the title of the message this morning is the gospel according to you. What is the gospel according to you? So let's read through uh, verses 1 through 6. We'll just look at those verses this morning. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So as we open up this chapter this morning, we see that Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he was there just for three Sabbaths before he got run out of town. 
and now he's in Corinth and he's writing to the church and he says to the church the church in Thessalonians in Thessalonica in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't it be great if, if someone sent you a letter today and said to the church Kingsway Christian Fellowship is that right and Kingsway Christian Fellowship in Caram Downs in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ what a blessing and that's what we are amen we are the church so whether we're at Church of the Cross Kingsway here Kingsway in Monterna we are the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and as I said the, the theme of this book is being prepared for the return of Christ now as Paul goes through this he gives us four couplets first of all grace and peace you will never have peace until you first experience grace you know, we, we meet people in the morning, we say, good morning. My wife's Italian. If she's meeting Italian, she said, buongiorno. If, she's, uh, if you speak to a Jewish person, who often come and, we have, we have Jews come and stay with us as they're traveling around the world, and uh, they'll say, bokotov, shalom. And Paul is speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews. And so he says, grace unto you, caris, shalom, peace. So grace and peace unto you. And you see, you will never ever have peace in your life until you first experience Christ's grace. When you've experienced Christ's grace, then peace comes with that. And so it's a couplet. Then he speaks about faith and works good works are the product of having faith we don't do good works to get faith we do good works because we have faith so Paul brings that out in Ephesians as he speaks to the Ephesian church too then love and service you can love you can serve without loving but you cannot love without serving you know, we went out to a restaurant last night, Brother BJ shouted us out for dinner, he and his wife and me and my wife. And, um, you know, the waitress comes around to the table and uh, brings, the, brings the meal and takes the meal away. But the waitress didn't do that out of love. She did that because she's getting paid to do it. Amen? Amen. But when we as Christians serve fellow brothers and sisters we do it out of love and so Paul is saying you can serve without loving but you can't love without serving if you are born again if you've experienced the, Christ, the, the peace of Christ in your life the grace of God in your life then you want to serve And then, of course, hope and endurance. Hope is the power to hold on when you want to quit. It's so easy to be walking through life and you 
suffer from trials and troubles and tribulations. You feel like life isn't worth living anymore. I want to quit. I want to give up. Did you see we have hope? We have hope. We are a people of hope. And our hope is in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said in Titus 2.13, we're awaiting. This is our great hope. We're awaiting the return of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that's another thing that keeps me going. The hope that Jesus is going to return. And he's my God and he is my Saviour. Amen. Amen. And so, as I preach, I often speak about the, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all nations. And then the end will come. And so I use this a lot in my sermon because we are to preach the gospel. We are to, are to have a heart for people who are perishing. People who are lost. I got a text message from a brother just three days ago. He, he, he's a roof plumber and he was out on the site and he met up with this builder and um, he said he sent me a text message hey brother good morning please put out a prayer request just had an opportunity to witness to a man his name is Paul I gave him the gospel app he is on parole and has done some bad things he killed the guy he has a lot of hurt and is open to hear what God has to say told him Jesus came for guys just like him please pray I got another one just a few days earlier from a lady taking her daughter to the pool and um, she's preschool age and the lifeguard was saying oh what a joyful girl you've got and he came up to, to Justine and Justine shared the gospel with him he's a Jew didn't believe in God he didn't even call himself a Jew he called himself an Israeli and he's uh, finished his time in the Israeli Defence Force and he's now come over to Australia and he's working as a lifeguard see whatever situation you can find him yourself in you can witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and he would go away and came back he was fascinated she said do you know that Jesus is your Messiah he said I've never heard that before he said tell me more and so she's inviting him to church so we take advantage of every opportunity because we are the ones that have the good news amen we got um, two new girls coming into our church they're both Muslims they're both, both, both lawyers would you believe it don't know each other but they came because our young people witnessed to them and so and then they never heard the gospel before one of them was so hungry she said my daughter-in-law actually witnessed to her she said a few weeks ago I'm going away on holiday I'm going overseas but when I come back I want to come to church and my daughter-in-law thought well I won't see her again you know she won't, she won't, she won't come to church but as soon as she arrived back she contacted my daughter-in-law and said I want to come to church on Sunday 
And she's been coming for four weeks now. So, we've got the good news, folks. Muslims haven't heard the good news. Jews haven't heard the good news, unfortunately. They think they have, but they don't have Yeshua HaMashiach, the true Jesus, and don't know that he is their Messiah. And so we've got different types of uh, presenting the gospel. We've got gospel music. You know, we've got bluegrass gospel music, black gospel music, country block gospel music, popular gospel music, all kinds of gospel music. I listened to gospel music actually before I became a Christian and didn't realize it was witnessing to me because I love country music. And when you like country music, you often get gospel music in there. And then you've got literature, gospel tracts, gospel books, different ways of sharing the gospel. You've got organizations with gospel in their title. You've got full gospel businessmen. You've got gospel chapels. And then, of course, you've got the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But of course, they weren't written when Paul wrote this. They didn't have gospel music. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John like we have today. They just had the, the face-to-face teaching of Paul. And then, of course, his letters. Just going to grab a water. So what is the gospel? If we read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 and I think we might be running short of time so I won't read it now. But Paul speaks of what the gospel is. You know that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. And we all believe that, amen? He came as the saviour of the world to take upon himself our sins. He paid the price that we won't have to go under judgment as we saw in that video. Romans 1.16, Paul refers to it as the gospel. It's the, the gospel which is the power unto salvation. In 1 Thessalonians here, verse 5, he said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. So he refers to the gospel as our gospel. Of course he's speaking about himself and Timothy and Silvanus. In Romans, a number of times, and in 2 Timothy, he refers to it as my gospel. It was his gospel. And so as we look at this topic today, we're not looking at Paul's gospel, just Paul's gospel, or the gospel. I want to ask the question, what is your gospel? What is the gospel according to you? It's so important that we we understand this. And so, as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are God's instruments. We are his disciples. He didn't send the angels to do it. 
Although in Revelation we will find out that I think Revelation 17, an angel will go out and preach the everlasting gospel. But uh, this time is for us to do it. And so when people call me during the week, uh, like Justine and Daniel, who send the other texts, it excites me that the people of the church are out there sharing this gospel. They're out there telling them the good news. And hopefully they will bring them in to church. They will embrace the, the fellowship of the church and then we can disciple them. Daniel just finished yesterday a 26-week course on discipleship. And right through that course, I've been mentoring, because, mentoring him because we actually took a year to go through it. But he's out there witnessing. He, he is now fulfilling the role of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, I have a poem here that I'd like to read to you. It's a poem by Leroy Brownlow. There's a gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, Luke and John too. There's another gospel many are reading. The gospel according to you. Many read not the words of the Bible. I will tell you what some of them do. They are reading the book you are writing. The gospel according to you. You are writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithfulness or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? People will notice you are different to the rest of the crowd. I had a, a woman come that I worked with um, in the prison. She came to church one Sunday. She, I've been inviting her to come for a long time. And, and she lives over in Lilladale, which is a long way from our church. And uh, she surprised me and turned up this one evening service. And um, I was at the uh, young adult Bible study a week later and one of the young adults came up to me and he said Pastor Paul you know that blonde lady that came that you work with I said oh yeah Ellen he said I went up to her after the service and said what is he really like at work and I'm thinking wow what's the answer here <laughs> and she said exactly as you see him here exactly as you see him here so you see we are writing a gospel. When people look at you, you know, once you tell them they're Christian, they, they look to see what your faults are. Oh, you're supposed to be a Christian now. Why are you doing that? I'm sure we've all heard it. So we're going to look at some aspects of the gospel today. So... I've, I've tried to put this in four P's, alright? So the first one is progenitor. God chose us because he loves us. And the progenitor, that, that word actually means source. He is the source of the gospel. It wasn't a plan that was dreamed up by the Old Testament prophets. It wasn't contrived by the disciples. It was God's intention to save mankind from the beginning. Paul echoed this sentiment in his letter to the Ephesians. For he chose us in him 
before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1, 4 through 5. And of course there are those of the Calvinist persuasion that have a field day with these two verses. Now if you ask me when I got saved, I will tell you it was the about 10 to 10, the Sunday morning on the 19th of September, 1976. Because I can pinpoint when I got saved because I was watching my TV set. And there's a preacher on there and when he gave the appeal I knelt down before my TV set and accepted Christ as my saviour. If you ask a Calvinist he would probably say well I was saved before the creation of the world. And they have a field day with these two verses and we're not going to go into the differences in theology this morning. But you see there is a friendly debate going on in uh, Baptist churches. It's over Reformed theology. John Calvin, the father of the Presbyterian Church, wrote a, a thick volume entitled The Institutes of Christian Religion. I've got them. I've got them on my computer, on my database. I don't have all the, the volumes in my library. But um, you see, the Protestant Reformation was a reaction to the Catholic idea that good works will get you your salvation. And so they, they moved to the opposite extreme. Calvin and Luther stressed the absolute opposite of this, teaching there is nothing that we can do to be saved. It is all God and none of us. And I call this the original flower power. Have you heard of Tulip? Not heard of Tulip? Okay. Tulip is the teaching of the Calvinist church which is total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. So man is so totally depraved he cannot even turn to God. God has to do it for him. So you don't have a choice. Uh, unconditional election, again uh, it's nothing that you do. We don't have to have a responsibility to come to God and confess our sins God's already done it for us. It's unconditional uh, limited atonement, Christ only died for some, not everyone. You know, John 3.16 kind of gets battered around a little bit there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him, whosoever believeth on him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Irresistible grace, you can't say, well, I don't want you, God. God's at you, and you're his. And then, of course, perseverance of the saints. Those that are zapped, those that do belong to God, will persevere to the end. Uh, this is uh, Tulip. As I said, I call it the original flower power. And then there's hyper-Calvinism that says, well, uh, you know, God not only uh, chose some to have eternal life, but he chose those to go to hell as well, which is hyper-Calvinism. And I, I don't believe any of that. But I told you that because... Uh, back in the 19th century, the father of modern missions, William Carey, stood up in a meeting in London and he implored the churches to send missionaries to India. 
An old Calvinist Baptist stood up and said, Sit down, young man. When God decides to save them, he will do it without your help. And you say, this is where Calvinism takes it to an extreme. We don't have to go out and witness. But there are Baptist churches, of course, that do go out and witness. That do take the gospel to all parts of the world. And we praise God for that. And so, we have God as the source of our gospel. Then Paul speaks about the preaching of the gospel. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. I had one guy preaching in my church, he said, well, I've got to convict them tonight of sin. I said, no brother, you don't. You don't do the convicting of their sins. The Holy Spirit's work, that's his work, not your work. So Paul says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. See, there are four forces operating when Paul preached. He called it the Word of God. The Word of the Gospel. That was the, the first power. The power of the Gospel. He says in, in Romans chapter 1, you know, the power of the Gospel unto salvation. The dunamis, the dynamite. I like to use the word dynamo. Dynamite destroys. Dynamo builds up power. So, the, the power of the gospel, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and then a deep sense of uh, conviction which comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that after he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit to abide in them and with them. He said the Holy Spirit will convict sinners. He said, when he comes, in John 16, 8, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So, we can preach the gospel, but we have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is working on the heart of the unbeliever. There are many people who say, we don't have to speak the gospel, we just have to live it. We never have to use words to witness about our faith, we just use our lifestyle as a living witness. And some people do that, some Christians do that, I've had people say that because it's either out of fear or lack of boldness, I don't know, but they do do that. Anyone heard of Cardinal Borgoglio? Cardinal Borgoglio. Well, he changed his name. Changed his name to Francis. Pope Francis. He said he saw Francis of Assisi as someone to be admired, someone to look up to. It is said that St. Francis spoke these words. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Well, it's a, it's a good, good quote, but it isn't true. It wasn't the true quote. Basically, it means that we should live out the gospel, and when we do, we don't have to preach the gospel with words. 
The truth is, we must use words to preach the gospel. The attitude of that misquote is comparable to saying, feed the hungry and if necessary use food. Just doesn't work. But we know from St. Francis's journals that he preached at least four times a day. He would go through the villages there and he'd get a haystack or he'd get a cart and he would stand up and he would preach. And some say he preached like Billy Graham. That was his style of preaching. And in fact the Bible says the gospel must be preached using words. Because he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call upon the Lord if they have not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So someone has to preach. So we're all preachers. You don't just have to have a title of pastor. We're all preachers. We're all witnesses. You know, when, when, when the early church was scattered back there in Acts chapter 8, they all went witnessing as they went, as they fled, witnessing the gospel. So, God is the source of the gospel. The gospel has to be proclaimed. The gospel has to be preached. And it's the Holy Spirit that gradually changes us to be like Christ. The power of the gospel. Paul wrote, you became imitators of us in the Lord. It's important to remember that when Paul preached to the Thessalonians, that he, didn't, he only had the Old Testament. He didn't have the rest of the New Testament as we have it today. But he, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But there's different kinds of power. We recognize different kinds of power. You know, the beginning of the year with uh, Kim Jong-un, little rocket man, we thought he was going to blow up the world. You know, he bragged that he could send nuclear power, uh, sorry, nuclear missiles, uh, targeting New York and Washington and Austin, Texas, San Francisco. Man, revere power. We've got political power, economic power, financial power, electrical power. They say knowledge is power. Men just love power. But you see, if we look at the atom, whose power is in the atom? God's power. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. God has a desire for everyone's heart, everyone's life. He desires to save you. He wishes that none should perish, that all be saved. A bit different to Calvinism, but not a subject. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? Does that mean that I have to grow a beard and walk around in sandals and be a bit difficult for you ladies. We're talking about inequalities. 
If you want to know what these are, they're the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We then exhibit the life of Paul the Apostle and he was an imitator of Christ. And God's desire for you and for me this morning is that the good work that he began in you when you got saved, when you accepted Christ as your saviour that he will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't that great? God wants to bring to completion the work that he began in each of us in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ and lastly we have the power of the gospel sorry the promise of the gospel we've done the power the promise of the gospel Paul wrote in spite of severe suffering you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit see following Jesus doesn't make us immune to suffering in fact, it makes us a target for suffering. You know, we have our prosperity gospelers out there. You know, come to Jesus, everything's going to be fine. God's going to bless you. You're going to have life in abundance. Of course, he's misquoting John 10.10, 10, speaking about eternal life. You know, Paul was run out of town for preaching. And Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Folks, we've got to cop it from some people. But then he said, Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Wow, I'm looking forward to that time. It's exciting. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. You see, so if anyone is feeling down and disappointed in ministry, rejoice! There is glad and there is exceedingly glad. Jesus said we should be exceedingly glad when we suffer for his sake. We, we, at the moment we're going through a study, we're studying the twelve disciples and the characteristics of the twelve disciples and how, how, they, how they thought and how they functioned and how do our lives fit in with how can we identify maybe we'll identify with one of them but then you see how they suffered and they died they suffered for Christ they suffered for this gospel and so folks we will suffer at times but what do we do? We rejoice. That doesn't mean we, we pretend to be happy, that we put on a fake smile, that we ignore the pain. Pain is real. Whether it be physical or emotional. But in the midst of your pain, you can make a choice to rejoice. Joy isn't happiness. We can be happy when we go out and spend time with our family, but joy is the joy that we get from the Lord. The psalmist wrote, Weeping may remain for a night, 
but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 30 verse 5 It would be wonderful if life was a bed of roses and we would never suffer if only it was. But folks, that's the promise. That's in heaven. Amen. Job knew something about trouble and suffering. He wrote, Man is born to trouble just as sure as sparks fly upwards. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures. God whispers to us in our pleasures. We don't really hear God's voice. But he shouts to us in our pain. Suffering is God's megaphone to awake a sleeping world. Listen to the poet. I walked a mile with laughter. She chatted all the way. But I was none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow. Another word, she said. But all the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. Christ has given us a promise. Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise. So what a great gospel we have to preach. I'll bring it to a conclusion now. Anybody heard of Dr. David Livingstone? We used to learn about him in primary school, actually. He was a successful Scottish physician. He attended a meeting where he heard a missionary from Africa, Robert Moffat, speak. Moffat said, On a clear morning, the smoke from a thousand villages could be seen where the name of Jesus Christ has never been heard. That vision was burned into Livingstone's mind. So he travelled to Africa with Moffat on his return journey. Livingstone later married Moffat's daughter Mary. He gave his life to the people of Africa. He travelled so far into the depths of Africa that even his guides believed they were at the end of the earth. David found a towering waterfall which he named Victoria Falls after the Queen of England at the time. All during this time, Livingstone preached. He used his medical skills to heal the sick and prepare some of the earliest maps of the interior of Africa. At one point, he'd been out of touch with civilization for six years. The New York Herald hired a famous British explorer, Henry Stanley, to travel to Africa and search for Dr. Livingstone. After traveling many weeks, Stanley became, came upon a white man, the only white man within thousands of miles. And he uttered the famous line that drips with British understatement. He said, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. You've probably heard that part of the story, but for the rest of the story, Stanley was not a Christian. He was a rough and coarse man, a wicked, a wicked man by his own estimation. But meeting David Livingstone changed his life. Livingstone did not have to preach the gospel to Stanley, he just showed him the love of Christ. 
Stanley wrote later, For four months and four days I lived with him in the same hut, the same boat, the same tent, and I never found a fault in him. I went to Africa prejudiced against religion, as the worst infidel in London. But little by little, seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went quietly about his business, I was converted by him, although he never tried to do it. A few months later, on May the 1st, 1873, Livingstone was found kneeling by his cot, dead. By his request, his heart was removed and buried in Africa before his body was mummified and returned to England where he received the hero's welcome. Before his death, death, Livingstone had begged his supporters in England to send another missionary to replace him when he died. Nobody responded to his appeal. Eventually, there was a preacher who took up Livingstone's missionary work. Who was that? You may have guessed it. Henry Stanley. The challenge for you and me this morning is someone followed you around for four months. Would the words, words that you speak and the deeds that you perform make them want to convert to Christ? You see, brothers and sisters, as we live this gospel daily to the glory of God, you may lead someone to Christ. As you share the good news of the word, of the gospel, with those that are ripe to receive it, you will lead a soul to Christ. See, Jesus is alive today. You all believe that? Do we all believe that? Only he has the power to fill you with hope. Only he can fill the voids in your life. Only he can infuse you with purpose. Brother BJ said, in his job for, he was here this morning, 18 years in his job. And I said, well, you'll probably retire there. He said, no, no. Whatever God's got in store for me, I will be doing. So he infuses you with purpose. Only he can transform your anxiety into joy. Only he can take you from fear to courage. Only he can take you from addiction to freedom. Only Jesus has life in himself. So may the Christ, who had victory over death, may the Christ who was raptured out of this world at his ascension from the Mount of Olives, May he imbue you with the power of his spirit today to live the holy life that he's called us to live. And as you do, go out and preach, proclaim the gospel in his power. Are you writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say? Men read what you write, whether faithfulness or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Father, we just thank you, Almighty God.
for the opportunity to gather together and to look into your word once again. We thank you, Lord, for the challenge today to live this gospel, to preach this gospel, to embrace your promise and your power that we may, we may take opportunities to witness the good news of the gospel to anyone who is ready to hear it and receive it. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.